Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. One more thing. How on earth are we supposed to shoehorn one more thing into our already way overscheduled? Anybody with me yet? Yeah, okay, the rest of you, we're going to talk about denial next week. We've got to fix breakfast, fix hair, find shoes, find a tie, throw McDonald's out the van, pick up soccer gear, drive to school, listen to aggressive negotiations in the back, drive to the grocery store, pick up Starbucks, take the kid to the dentist, look at our watch, and it's only 9.15. Then the afternoon comes. Soccer, three times a week per kid. Piano lessons, dance lessons, NCIS, clean up the house, get ready for the next day, dancing with the stars. Make those calls, reply to those emails, check Facebook, knock down some virtual buildings. Your day and mine is just packed full. Life is like a pie. Berry pie, as a matter of fact, slightly warmed and a la mode, of course. But however large you cut your piece of pie, that much less pie is available for everyone else or for you to enjoy later. Now me, personally, when it comes to pie, berry pie, slightly warmed, a la mode, of course, my usual love for sharing and even sacrificial giving goes right out the window. And when you and I slice a little piece of our day out for, say, kids' soccer or coffee with the guys, our life becomes that much tighter. So we can't do things like washing the car or vacuum the house, which explains why I only wash Donna's car and vacuum the house when I really want her to know I love her. Most of us, most of us here experience life as a zero-sum game. A zero-sum game is whenever you have, you take out a piece, and however large that piece is, it, it takes away from everything else. If one aspect of your life gains, another aspect of your life loses. Now this, for us, is mostly true. But today, I want to give a strategy so that when you cut this piece of pie out of your life, you will be able to be energized. It will create life in you so that when you face all the other aspects of your life that will never go away, you will have a better tasting pie. Berry, slightly warm, and a la mode. Now, fortunately, God's Word helps us to live in such a way that energizes and creates life and gives us a little bit of room. It takes us a step back away from insanity. And the point is that what you do matters. Therefore, you and I need to live 
in community with grace. Now, before I tell you my idea, let me give you three solid biblical principles, truths about you and me that we just plain can't ignore. And the first one is we need to know why we exist. Now, ironically, our nation became a superpower with the belief that we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And within a century, we became a country that firmly believes it doesn't matter what we do. We believe it doesn't matter what we do in terms of politics because everybody knows that whoever wins will be in it just for himself. We believe it doesn't matter what we do with, in terms of our money. And it's not just because the stock market goes up and down. It's because we are consumers to the core. By the way, I checked MSN.com this week, and currently the United States average is 0% savings. My friends, that is a recipe to destroy your life, my life, and our nation's. We also firmly believe that it doesn't matter what we do, especially in terms of our downtime during the day. And if we did believe it mattered what we did during the day, we wouldn't have collectively downloaded Angry Birds 500 million times, making it the most downloaded app across all platforms. And now it's even an animated video. My friends, what you do with your time matters. What you do with your talents, what you do with all of your treasures, all of your resources matters because you matter. And you matter because you and I were created in the image of God. Genesis 126 tells us this. It says... Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, I want to pause for a moment and I want to spend some time thinking about this verse deeper than I think most of us have ever thought. So stay with me in just for a few minutes. We are made, this verse tells us, in God's image and his likeness. We are made moral in nature. And originally, we were made holy in character. That's the distinction that Moses is getting to us here. When Adam and Eve sinned, they, and then subsequently you and me, fell. Our likeness to God, our character who we are when no one else is looking, is no longer holy. Now, okay, I know that's a surprise to all of you out there, but it's true. But we can tease out some more implications here. As the image of God is expressed here in Genesis 1, namely, Adam had dominion over all the earth. Adam and Eve had dominion over all of the earth. At least two things can be understood. First is self-consciousness, understanding who we were. He knew that he wasn't a giraffe. But then also choice. Adam had choice, and we see that because he was able to name the animals that are around him. But we also see here that necessarily this person's choice 
and emotions are involved. Stay with me because this is going to be very important in a moment. Your choice and your emotions are implied in us having God's likeness. Your emotions, your feelings are a big part of you. And like the holy character you were created with, fell. Now this creates for us an enormous problem because we cannot get away from being emotional beings. We all have feelings and have them necessarily. Your feelings, in fact, are an excellent window into your soul. Your feelings are wonderful at telling you how you are doing on the inside. But listen, your emotions, your feelings are a horrible, terrible door to your will. It's a, your feelings are a terrible way of how you are actually going to live and act and have attitudes on the outside. Now, okay, we're going to start tying this together. How does this image and likeness of God play out? What does all this mean that I just said for our daily lives? First of all, you and I need to be thankful that God, how God made us. We need to trust Him, Him to guide our fallen emotions. And the way we do this, listen, the way God enabled us to do this right is by reading the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, you will find people with your emotions acting on them appropriately. Every emotion that is found is in the Psalms, and godly people act on them appropriately. Then, the next step to dealing with this, is we need to trust God with our emotions by pausing to understand them rather than just reacting out of them. Because you know as well as I do, our emotions can change any second. And the best way you and I can do this to understand our emotions rather than reacting out of them is to share them in a grace-filled, loving community where godly people can love you through your emotions, good, bad, and ugly, and help you make godly choices. Okay, that rabbit trail is done. Back to the point. And without trying to be comprehensive and understanding what this image and likeness to God means, I want to suggest that it means at least three things. It, the, what is entailed by the Bible saying we are created in the likeness and image of God is that we are in our ens- essence creative, we're made to live in community, and we have choice. Now, in a couple of weeks, on Sunday evening, I'm going to argue that the creative aspect of who we are, the image of God in us, means that you and I must engage in creative activity. We must create something in order to be fully human. Unfortunately, we find ourselves distracted by so many things that we don't take time. And I'm not talking about just art. I can't paint anything. And maybe you can't either, but create with photography. Create with 
your words. Create by painting. Create by taking a sculpture class. And when we fail, when we stifle our creativity, even if you don't consider yourself an artist, you shrivel. You become less than the whole you. Likewise, a major part of who we are can only be expressed in community. Christian community dedicated to making us more like Jesus. And when we lose this community, this part of who God made us to be, we shrivel and we become less than we are. So what would this community look like? Real community is not hard to describe. Real community is where you go and everybody around you knows your struggles. This means, as Pastor Benji has reminded us over the last three months, over and over again, we allow the good news of Jesus Christ to wash over us so we can allow ourselves to be bared in front of those who love us and know their own garbage in their own heart as well. That's community. Never allow the enemy of your soul to convince you that you are your own person. That what you do doesn't matter. Never let the enemy of your soul convince you that your private lust, your private coveting, your private bitterness doesn't matter and has no effect on anyone else. That is a lie. And it's only in community, grace-filled, loving community, that you are going to be able to overcome that. And real community isn't just where everyone knows your name. Real community is where everyone knows your stuff and they love you just the same. Real community only happens when you are with a small number of people who regularly meet together and regularly meet with Jesus. And my friends, as everybody, every single one of you know that this is true, this can't happen best on Sunday morning. To be in real community, you and I must invest time during the week. Because what you do matters. Therefore, you and I need to live in community with grace. So the first point was to know why you exist. And a large part of the reason you exist is to be in community. Just like Adam and Eve were in the garden, just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been since before time. And then you and I need to live the good news. Live the good news. I take this from Romans chapter 6. It says in verses 7 and 8, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. There are two realities that make up the good news that are expressed in these verses. And both, both of these truths are absolutely essential to living as Christ has made us to live. They're both essential to living anything like a life worth living. And both are aspects of the good news of Jesus Christ. The first one we find in verse 7, the good news of freedom from sin. And the second one we find in verse 8, the good news of freedom to be like Jesus. Now the good news of Jesus Christ is often 
only described in terms of the first half, that you can be free from sin. But listen, partial truth often becomes untruth. Partial truth often becomes a lie because sometimes we're reducing the truth. We're shoving it down to make it something we want it to be. And this reductionistic belief morphs into a form of moralistic therapeutic deism. Did you catch all that? Yes, I am in my demon program, so I have big words sometimes. But let's unpack this moralistic therapeutic deism. I think you'll understand exactly what it is from your experience and mine. First of all, reductionistic belief is something that goes for the lowest common denominator. A reductionistic belief says that, for example, people are merely animals. Are we animals? Yes, of course we are. Are we merely animals? No. Often in science and on TV today, you, you hear this lie a lot. They, they talk about the mind and say that it's merely the brain. Don't believe it. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to talk to you. But what's really important here is in this case, sometimes Christians can let the world into our thinking so much that we simply think that Christianity is about being good. We think that Christianity is simply being about being nice, about being fair. The Pharisees were good. What did Jesus have to say about them? Now, a moralist is someone who believes that God just, like I said, wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. But that's taught not only in the Bible, but in every other religion. A therapeutic moralist is someone who believes that the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good. My friends, if you hear nothing else I say today, know that that is a lie that the world wants you to believe. Because if you believe that, you will buy whatever new trinket comes on the TV. This person also believes that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when a problem needs to be solved. And that's a part of what it means to be a deist. A deist is someone who believes that a God, a God exists, who created in order the world, but then let it go. And he believes that good people will go to heaven when they die. That's what you sing when you sing the Bette Midler song, God is watching us. Never mind, you don't want to hear me sing anymore. I hope it's obvious what's missing from all this. Jesus Christ is missing from all of that. To be a moralistic, therapeutic deist, all you need is a counselor. Take your pick. Dr. Phil, Oprah, uh, Laura Schlesinger. This deity is exactly who they preach. Not Yahweh. Not Jesus Christ. What is missing is that this isn't Christianity at all. Living Christianity is trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. And not, I repeat, not just being a good person, whatever on earth that means. And my friends, you know what? This is exactly what our whole series on Philippians has been teaching us the last three months. 
We've been hammering home. Joy unleashed comes from not from being good or nice. Joy unleashed comes from in comes into your heart and mine from an intimate trust in Jesus Christ. The good news. The good news is you don't have to be a good girl. But you can have your joy unleashed by trusting Christ. The good news is that you can be free from the penalty of sin and you don't need a shrink to move past guilt and shame. The good news is that you can be free from the power of sin. All you need is a group of fellow kneelers at the cross to help you grow in that strength. The good news is that you can one day be free from the presence of sin. Now, all we need is some friends and family to join us on that journey. In fact, our fighter verse from last week talked exactly about this. You make known to me the paths of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We find that. What you do matters. Therefore, live in community with grace. Now, what could living the good news look like in community? I want to concentrate here on how living this good news is involved in the second half of the good news we outlined a moment ago. You have the freedom to live like Christ. Now, remember that I've said many times that trusting God is simple. It's not complex, but trusting God is also not easy. Living the good news in community looks like people walking with you that you can rub shoulders with, whose buttons you can push, and they can push your buttons, so that... By this interaction, you can figure out what parts of you need to be filed down. What parts of you need to be made more like Jesus. I'm stealing this from what Pastor Benji said in the hallway this week. But when your children leave their socks on the floor or their cereal bowl next to the TV remote, you have an opportunity to be like Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? When your friend at church fails to recognize the hours of labor you put into making grace run smoothly, you have an opportunity to be made more like Jesus. When your neighbor doesn't just automatically realize what a great person you are because you prayed this morning, you have an opportunity to be like Jesus. Now, by the way, this does not mean you don't take the time and effort to train your children. It does mean that you appropriately allow the grace of Jesus Christ to work in you and then through you into your children. It does mean what you do matters. Therefore, live community with grace. And you know what's awesome about this? Catch this. What's our fighter verse this week? Romans 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. 
That's what your fighter verses are there for. So you can have this echoing in your head. So you can allow the Word of God to change you, to make you more like Jesus Christ. And that's the life that God created you for. And that's the life in your deepest heart of hearts. Now that you're a Christian, that's what you want. That's what you long for. So be involved in getting these verses into your heart. Make the sacrifices in your schedule that you need to make in order to arrange to have relationships like this because it won't happen automatically. You have to do it on purpose and it will take time and energy. Recognize the time sealers so that you can invest time to make your day and week more useful. And most of all, recognize where in your life you have allowed God to be a, quote, problem solver alone and not actually the Lord of your life. Then you will get close to him by getting close to others who want to be close to him. Because what you do matters. Therefore, live in community with grace. So first point, know why you exist. You were created for a community. Second point, live the good news. You have the privilege of pleasing your neighbor for his good to build him up. And the third point is be where church happens. Be where church happens. I take this out of Acts 2, 42, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Listen, if you forget anything and everything else I say, I want you to catch this. Because the whole sermon is in four words. And these four words are right here. Beware church happens. Church is a verb. Church is a way of life. Church is not merely a building. Church is something that by God's grace, He does through you. Go back to our verse right here in Acts 2.42. What happened? They devoted themselves. I want you to notice right here that this is written in shorthand. In other words, it's, it's compacted a little bit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and we are to understand, as we continue to go through this list of four things that Luke gives us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. I want you to catch that because it's important. What's important here is the meaning of devoted. The only way that you're going to be able to tell that someone is devoted is by looking at their lives and seeing if, in fact, their lives are arranged around whatever they're devoted to. And by the way, you are going to be devoted to something. Luke here is just giving us an example of what we ought to be devoted to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Where in your schedule do you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching? Do you spend five minutes? Do you spend 30 minutes a week? If you're not spending real time in God's Word in community, then you are losing that opportunity for God to work in you to be more like Him. 
They devoted themselves to the fellowship. When do you devote yourself to fellowship? Not talking about football scores in your small group or your Sunday school. When do you vote yourselves to being iron that rubs the dull iron off your close friend? When do you devote yourselves to spurring one another on to love and good works? They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. When do you devote time to eating with your brothers and sisters? Taking time, precious time, to give and to share and to actually sit and enjoy food with one another. They devoted themselves to the prayers. When do you actually devote yourselves to praying for one another instead of just saying, oh, I'll I'll pray for you about that. They devoted themselves to these things because they knew that no matter what urgent thing was going on, they knew what was important. By the way, here's another thing for you. Do you know that your second grade class in room 404 is based on this verse? First Sharon Conley and now Roxanne Slocum are teaching this to your children. Back your kids' Sunday school teachers up. Back them up by teaching this at home as well so that they will have an understanding of how life really works. And my friends, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that these things are not best done on Sunday morning with 550 of your closest friends. We come to church on Sunday to celebrate together and to encourage one another to value Christ above anything and everything during the week to press one another on to living in community with grace. But even devoting yourselves to the apostle teaching is not best done on Sunday morning, as Pastor James alluded to this morning. It is best done when you have a small number of people who gather together, and they, having read and prayed about a passage, are able to then work together to beat out the world of us, and to beat in the grace of God so that we can understand the promises of God and the commands of God and they stick out of us so that people around us looking will see that we are the men and women of God He wants us to be. Now, I seriously doubt that any of you sitting here will be terribly surprised if I tell you that the point of this message is to encourage you to act on the belief that what you do matters. Therefore, live in community with grace. But I also want to encourage you to act on that belief by joining one of our small groups here at Grace. You can do that right after this service. Go into the gym and find out what groups are being offered and find out what groups are available to be offered. Perhaps you have an idea that we haven't thought of or we don't have enough people to offer. But I want to say two things so that you don't misunderstand me. First of all, community as it has been biblically described here today is not defined by the small groups displayed in the gym. Community, Christian community, happens in many ways, but one readily available means of achieving this community is in the small groups we have to offer or the potential groups that we might offer because you give us the idea. And you can get plugged in this week. But number two, 
as a caveat here, I want to emphasize that the community, as it has been described biblically today, is not done perfectly by any of our official or unofficial small groups, by any of our Sunday school classes, or even by the small group I lead myself. But my friends, listen. God does not wait for perfect people or perfect groups. If he did, he'd be waiting forever. Instead, you can join right now. Bring your stuff to the group so that we can love you and you can love us right on through those things. So give me, let me give you four simple strategies to put into practice what Bible, the Bible is teaching us today. Number one, decide what needs to be ruthlessly eradicated from your schedule. What eye needs to be gouged? What hand needs to be amputated so that you are not ruled by the urgent things of life, but instead you can be governed by the important things? And secondly, decide what kind of groups would empower your life. Perhaps a marriage group, perhaps a singles group, perhaps a men's or a women's group. Go over there. We've got different kinds. Find one that might be that slice of pie that will encourage you and build you up. Go through our small group fair and please, please, please tell me if you see something missing or maybe you want to host a group or maybe you've led groups in the past and you'd like to try your hand at that again. Give me a call. Send me an email. Really, email is actually the best way to get a hold of me, but I'll take anything I can get. Let's work together so that we can build God's kingdom. And then I want to speak to a small group of you right now. I know that there are those of you in this group who have been in small groups before. And you're sitting in your chair, your pew right now, and you're thinking, been there, done that, didn't work. Either there was a grumpy person who took over the meetings, or it was meeting in a dirty house, and I didn't trust my kids there, or some bad thing happened in a group that you've been a part of. Two things to say about that. Number one, I'm sorry. You know what? We're all in progress. We all have growth that we need to do. You may be talking about one of the many groups I've led in the last 16 years. But number two, allow the grace of God to work in you to work through that. Or maybe you're the kind of person you've never been in this and you're saying, Greg, you just don't understand how busy I am. I do. I do understand. And even if I don't, decide what eye needs to be gouged. Decide what hand needs to be amputated so that you will not be ruled by the tyranny of the urgent, but instead you'll be governed by that which is truly important because what you do matters. Therefore, live in community with grace because life is like a piece of pie. You know, berry pie, Slightly warmed, a la mode. In case you're wondering, yes, that is my favorite kind of pie. However large a piece of pie you slice, that much less pie is available for everyone else. Since this is true, you need to make sure you're eating some of your pie in a way that encourages you and equips you and creates life in you so that you can be the man or woman that God has created you to be. Because what you do matters. Therefore, live in community with grace. Let's pray. Oh, God, 
every single one of us in this room has more things than we can do. And God, I understand there's a lot of frustrating things about small groups and I'm sure there have been people in in this building right now who have been hurt by malfunctioning small groups. God, I pray that you would help us to grow past this so that we can grow into your kingdom and glorify your holy name because you are worthy of us making radical, sacrificial choices to be the people we really want to be and the people who will give you glory. Bless us this morning, Jesus, and send us away so that we may be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.